Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I am delighted to be joined today by Cody Masters. Cody is the Vice President of Culinary and the Executive Chef for Everson Spice Company. His work includes tracking trends and helping both retailers and grower shippers develop new flavor profiles for their products. And with consumers constantly searching for new products and eating experiences, with retailers looking to set themselves apart with either unique products from their suppliers or specialized products that they can create in-house. I'm so excited to get Cody's perspective on all these different areas. Cody, thank you so much for taking the time today and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ashley. I'm happy to be here. I'm on the edge of my seat. I, I nerd out on trends and read just about everything I can get my hands on to keep my finger on the pulse of this stuff. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Excellent. Well, we will certainly get to trends here in just a little bit. I thought we would start with just a little bit of background. What what does a day in the life look like for you, Cody? Wow. Um, many hats. <laughs> my, my background is about as unorthodox as it comes. And, you know, I, I worked my way up in restaurants in New York City and then knew that I didn't want to stay confined within those four walls and the hundred hour work weeks and the just the the hostility of that environment and lifestyle, which it truly, it, re- it really, really is. So I went back to school, um, had already done culinary school, had already gotten two bachelor's degrees and decided, well, I'll, I'll, I'll study food science and nutrition, got some certifications there, and then went into meat processing. And it was so strange to transition from restaurants to that. Did that for a long time until the company I was with got bought out by a bigger group. And then I went private equity. And all of a sudden, it's like, you've been this chef, you've worked on the bench, and now you're going to work on PowerPoints and Excel spreadsheets for 60 hours a week. And it's like, okay, I'm literally Googling how to do things on Excel that I'd never had to do before. And I learned this whole new skill set. And then I came on with Eberson and I worked my way up from the executive chef on the sales team to R&D director to now VP. And I've built out a really good team underneath me. And what it's really allowed me to do day to day is take a large role in managing our sales strategy and our marketing strategy, not only with existing and current customers, but also potential new adjacencies that we can move into. So even as a seasoning company, I recently cut a PO to make a dog food starter, which is a rice and dried vegetable blend with a supplement built into it and collagen built into it and beef liver powder built into it. And so we, I've really tried to push the company to articulate themselves more as a custom dry blender and a custom liquids blender than just the spice of the Everson Spice title and the brand identity that they had exercised for you know decades at this point before I got involved. And so day to day, it really just depends on what new customer may be presenting themselves or what new broker may be coming to me with an idea on or planning ideations or presentations for upcoming trade shows or any number of the customers I'm standing in front of from a week-to-week basis across the country. Wow. So quite the variety there for sure. Never a dull moment, it sounds like. No, it's, it's been, (laughs) it has been a wild ride. It's fascinating and surreal that I can take a step back and look at what I do, knowing where I came from. I double majored in history and anthropology and culinary school was a cop out to grad school. And it really, I started in restaurants when I was 15, so it kind of made sense. But, you know, you have two liberal arts majors 
and everybody says, oh, do you want to be a teacher? And I said, no. Well, what are you going to do with it? Oh, love. I'll figure it out. <laughs> so it's, you know, I think anthropologically, it's allowed me to take a more objective view to trends and to cultural eating habits and demographics. And I, I cherish that I have that level of, of sort of academic discourse to fall back on when I'm trying to articulate things to people I'm standing in front of. But at the end of the day, there is a constant fluidity to how we have to approach anything, not even just from like a year to year, but a month to month, a season to season, an LTO to an LTO. And being able to have a great supporting staff around me so that I can take that step back and I can actually look at okay, well, we can throw the, the hashtags boomer and millennial and Gen Z and Gen Alpha in the mix, but they're very powerful uh, catalysts for what a modern consumer is looking for. And at the end of the day, my role is to sort of stand in the shadows to set my customers up for success and make sure my customer's customer is happy with their purchase. And for over a decade now, nobody really knows that I exist in the majority of all the projects I'm involved with or the restaurant items I can point to on menus or any supermarket I could go into and point to random things that I've worked on. But, you know, you find you find solace and you find comfort in knowing that that's what you're adding to this industry that we all call home. That is so neat. And you're right. It's such a it's such a behind the scenes kind of role, but then you see the outgrowth of it in all these different places, I'm sure. I'm curious, you know, product development, of course, is, is such a broad topic. So let's let's start with, um, you know, if you're working with a produce supplier, t- take us behind the scenes a little bit on, you know, how how you approach, because I know there's there's so many different flavors out there. There's so many different trends. Do you start with something, you know, really kind of philosophical about, you know, how how bold do you want to go here? You know, who's yeah. your target audience here or, yeah. or what's that process look like? It, it There is a not to sound too like weirdo about it, but there is absolutely like a spiritual aspect to it because I do try to find a comfortable line between the profound and the comfortable and, you know, you have to be able to keep the consumer intrigued. And if you can pique that intrigue, but in a comfortable way, it's going to evoke them to want to participate in the experience with you. And so, you know, thinking about what Western diet, if you will, calls comfortable flavors, one of the first ones that comes to mind is lemon pepper. That's as generic as it gets. It's been around forever. I know people will buy lemon pepper. I never want to be in front of a customer and say, here's our lemon pepper seasoning. Even if I think it's the best lemon pepper seasoning in the entire world, and I know we source these great ingredients, and I know we've put so much time and effort into making it the best it can be. Well, what if we just added a char note on top of it? Now it's charred lemon pepper. Now somebody walks up to that case where they see that seasoning and they're like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm interested. What does that mean? Or what is that visual in your head of watching the food network and seeing somebody take a lemon slice and set it on a pan or set it on an open flame, get that color on the outside. And that all of a sudden is getting them invested in the experience before they've even acted in any way whatsoever. And my biggest mantra 
when I talk to my team or I'm making videos for the company or I'm in front of a customer is I live and die by you eat with your eyes before you eat with your mouth. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're looking at food. That could just mean you're reading a naming mechanism of the blend that we've created. That nomenclature has to evoke something inside of you to want to engage. And that's all part of that sensory experience to me. And I take that all the way back to how we name our blends, to how we build out our POS, or to how we purchase and procure ingredients, making sure that we're building in the best and most beautiful visuals and layering colors and flavors that we can so that once the eyes are invested, everything that happens after that is just going to keep building that momentum in the right direction. That's such a fascinating point. And I I adore that example of the difference between hearing or seeing lemon pepper and charred lemon pepper, because it is, it, it evokes something completely different. You go from not even thinking about you know, the name of it, like yeah. you said, you've heard it a million times before to, ooh, that sounds cool. That sounds yeah, I mean, different. And that's that's sort of the approach. You could call it a mad scientist. You know, I, I also truly believe in anybody that's worked under me, be it in restaurant kitchens or on my R&D teams over the years, I'm a huge advocate of making sure they're comfortable with the fact that you're going to learn more from the failure than the success. Like, I want you to try to mash these flavors together. I'm going to come to you with some off the wall ideas. And if it doesn't work, we'll remember it doesn't work a lot more than let's add char to lemon pepper. Oh, this is cool. It works. Okay. Well, that just becomes part of the portfolio. But the things that don't work, we will be able to retain that so that when it comes to innovation moving forward, we know where to sort of stay away from and where that lane needs to be to continue to maintain that level of comfort. And it doesn't mean that I'm not willing to explore the esoteric. I, I will stand in front of customers and say, look, I know my objectives. I know what my goal is in standing in front of you. And I'm going to put all that on the table, but I'm going to throw a couple of wild cards in the mix too. And just trust me, I've tested them. I've tasted them. It's going to work. It may be way too far outside the box, but let's just think about this strategically from, you know, using a fishing analogy, we're going to throw the bait out there. And if they take the bait, and then they come back a second, a third, a fourth time, they're going to be looking for something new by the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time. And that's where we may want to start to push the limits a little bit and run an LTO or try something new or throw something next to it to see if we can now push them or educate them into expanding what their comfort of their palate looks like and what they're willing to, you know, throw their money at. And what is sort of the the step-by-step look like? Because as you mentioned, there's there's the the flavor itself and and how that's crafted from a culinary standpoint. Then there's all like you said the communication around it, the naming and the point of sale and the vehicles that that try and get people to try it in the first place, right? Well, what does that kind of step by step look like? Well, I I think if you asked anybody on my team, it comes from me sending an email at ten thirty on a Tuesday night, just being like, "Hey, we got to try this." <laughs> and then me following up on it. Um, uh, we just did a root beer barbecue. And I'm telling you, if you pop the top of the shaker jar, the entire room smells like you're, you have a glass of root beer in front of you. It's phenomenal. It's cool. And it was just this weird idea I had. Let's just try it. Well, it worked. So then what's going to happen? And they know this. They know how I am. The root beer works. So what's the next email I send? What about Coke? What about Dr. Pepper? What about Orange Fanto? What about Sprite? 
let's find how we can make that work too, because I want that line extension to be available for me to present. And so as much as it just is my crazy imagination, normally getting the best of me, it also stems back from it's cyclical and where I started, it stems back from that cultural understanding of people want to feel excited. We can even take this in a very simple platform, a habanero. If you go and you give somebody a habanero, nobody, I mean, 99% of the time is going to be like, yes, habanero is exciting. I'm going to put this in my mouth and eat it. But if I put habanero on the name of a blend, People want to experience what it's like to eat a habanero, but it has to be done in a very comfortable way. So I'm going to include it in certain blends, but I'm going to make sure, unless it's very specifically articulated by the customer, I want this to pop. I want this to be the highlight and the all-star of the flavor. It's going to be there as a background note that's built around a lot of other complementary flavors and inclusions that make the customer still think, I like habanero. They may not really like habanero, but they're going to eat what I've created and think I like it because of how it's been formulated or how it's been presented. So there's a dance that's occurring not only between myself and my team, but it's myself and the customers. And again, it's myself and the customer's customer and trying to understand the capabilities, not just physically, but also emotionally and mentally of everybody that's involved to make sure all those pieces can come together synergistically into a way in which everybody can experience something together and get to a good point at the end of the day. And we'll get into some some flavors and, and trends that you're looking at for, for 2023. I'm I'm so curious because again, I, I know this goes a lot of different directions. What are if you had to pick, you know, two or three, curate for a little bit, particularly for folks in produce or maybe okay. retailers who are doing some some in-house things for their fresh cut programs or things like that. What are a few of those flavors and trends that folks should be thinking about heading into this next year? There's two words, and they're not even real words. They're fake words. But the influence of where social media now lies and the generations that maintain control there are able to create their own language that we all just have to catch up with now. Oh, boy. So swavery and swicy. Everybody wants sweet. I hate to say it because also as, as a certified nutritionist and the training that I have and how I align myself and my own lifestyle and raise my children, you can't deny that if you can make something sweet, people will want to come back for more. And what we've seen, especially over the last year, and if you analyze the LTOs in food service, as far as what has been the biggest hits and pushed numbers in the biggest way, Combining sweet and savory and combining sweet and spicy is going to build that intrigue and make people want to participate in the dining experience or the consumer experience, if you will. And so, you know, you take something like one of the blends that we did a couple of years ago that, that it, it has performed really well, but you start with fusion. Fusion was a word that people were very intrigued by a decade ago when restaurants were, it was fusion, it was gastronomy. It was like, wow, this is, I don't know what this means, but I want to see it. Well, that still matters. It's just sort of an antiquated term in the modern consumer's mindset because it's just become comfortable and become normal in a way in which does not, it doesn't build that excitement within them. 
So you have to think more about the act of fusion, but how can you call out what you're fusing to get to where you want them to get to? So I took smoky, I took blueberry, and I took balsamic. And I made a smoky blueberry and balsamic dry rub. And even in that sense, I started with smoky blueberry. I put it on a roast at home. I brought it out. My wife took a bite. I don't really like it. And I said, yeah, it's missing something. She walked over to the fridge. She grabbed the bottle of balsamic reduction, drizzled it over the top. We tasted it. And I was like, that was it. It needed that extra layer. And so it comes from out of nowhere sometimes, or just from ways in which you wouldn't necessarily, you know, expect it to be there, but taking that now and then adding that new hashtag on top of it or that new slang or phrase on top of it, which is this swicey swavery, you stand in front of a consumer and I've been doing it for months now and I use those words, everybody smirks a little bit, people chuckle a little bit, but they're all, they took the bait. They're all into it now. Like, well, yeah, that sounds silly, but I might be able to make money off of that. <laughs> and if I can sell that, then let's definitely explore it. And so that to me, and I, I have, I'm about to present my new sales uh, trend presentation to my entire company next week for our big year end get together. But the backbone of what I built all of that on are those two words. And it can be something like a mango habanero that's been around for a very long time, or it can be something that's, you know, even more bananas like a, God, what's one of the latest ones? I did a, uh, a maple bourbon um, habanero barbecue. And it's just, it's layering on layering on layering to just build flavors that once you find the right percentage of inclusion that they're going to work synergistically with one another, you put that in front of somebody, the name itself is going to make them want to try it, but then you can provide that data and say, well, this is why this actually matters right now, because this is where so much buying power and motivation is coming from. You're sort of building that bigger picture for anybody you're standing you know, in front of or showing products to, to make them want to just let's dive in, you know, and they may not like it and it's never going to hurt my feelings, but at least again, we've taken the bait. We're, we're in the deep end now. And now let's figure out how we build this life wrap to all get on top of so that we can get to the other side and actually put something on a shelf. Well, and you mentioned the the modern consumer, Cody, and, and the sales pre presentation you referenced, you were so kind to send that over to me in, in advance of our chat here today. And one of the things that stood out to me was you mentioned not only Gen, Gen Z, but Generation Alpha, which is yeah. coming next, which is mind-blowing to me as a millennial yeah. who not too long ago was considered the important group being the millennials, right? We're not. We're, not. <laughs> we're old news now. <laughs> old news a couple yeah, generations ago. I mean, wow. <laughs> I was curious because Generation Alpha, most of those folks are still pretty young. What What is the value of of looking ahead, e even as these consumers start to kind of form their preferences? What What can we know now? What What do we still have to kind of wait to develop as we think about what that next generation is looking for? Well, if it makes you feel any better, I, I've had to I've had to coach myself through this as well as a 40 year old. <laughs> um, the Gen Alpha trends are a repercussion of millennial parents. 
Ooh. And I hate to always go back to this. And I, I feel like I do in lots of presentations or lots of meetings that I have. It's also a repercussion of what we endured during the COVID epidemic. And you moved so much over to a computer in your pocket. I don't have to go to the store. I don't have to go to restaurants. So you have a parental group that is ordering food for an entire family on an app that now allows you to customize in ways in which none of us ever knew possible because we were standing in a restaurant reading a menu. And if there are plenty of restaurants out there that if you open the menu up just for fun and you think, I'm going to get this quesadilla, and I've gotten this quesadilla multiple times over throughout decades of my life. But then you open it up and you see, what would you like to add? And there's 15 options underneath. All of a sudden, you're like, well, now I can make it my quesadilla. And that, there is a selfish intent, I believe, but I think it's it's an altruistic intent. Because people just want what they want. But in a culture where on-demand instant gratifications is at the tip of our fingers, there is a generation that's being raised thinking, well, that's the absolute. I got hired today and the rules you're telling me have always existed. Even if you just changed the rules yesterday, I don't know because today this is the only thing I know. And so when I reference the LTOs or you look at some restaurants that are just doing like app only promotions, it's because people were customizing in ways in which even the restaurants or the retailers never knew possible. And so there's always this pendulum, this dichotomy between who's really paving the way for the trend. Is it the retail sector or is it the food service sector? And it jumps back and forth. You know, every few years, somebody's going to take the lead in that. What we're seeing is this roundabout where because of app-based ordering, food service is starting to set those trends again because of customization. And when you have Gen Alpha knowing, I don't need to just order the quesadilla, and not that they would, I guess I should say, I don't need to just eat the quote unquote quesadilla because I want three things removed and six other things added, and that's the quesadilla I define quesadilla by now. They're just gonna continue to evolve in that system and in that methodology to where that's where you really have to take a step back and look, what can I mash together now? I may have one blend that works and I may have another blend that works. And I call my sous chef and say 50-50 on each and just tell me what happens. Because I need to go back in front of a customer that may buy those two blends and say, okay, they've worked. Here's the new version. And this is going to continue to push that forward for you. And you mentioned food services as the place where more of these trends are being set because there is more customization available where does that put retail then, do you think? Or what what needs to be the strategy for retailers to be able to kind of take advantage of some of those same things when obviously it's not necessarily an on-demand structure to the extent that that maybe a, a food service operator would have? You know, it's tough because the scale is so large. You know, you have to you have to be able to control and mitigate potential disaster in a way in which isn't just going to break your P&L at the end of the day. And so I think it's again about finding that comfort of how far can we start to push this 
before we really just take the reins off and see how far we can actually go. And, you know, retailers are are finding themselves, I believe, in a in a new spot just in, in a very condensed period of time, because when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden everything went in the retailer's favor. Restaurants were in the hurt. And so everybody's going to a, a store or they're ordering from an, an Instacart or something that's going to bring things from the store. And because they were able to consume so much of the consumer buying power to themselves, they were able to then go bigger and take more chances. As it's equilibrating and you're seeing food service sort of now take this, you know, proverbial lead because of what has happened as a repercussion of that. Now it's not a matter of being so reactive that you're like, we have to do what they're doing, which we've all seen before. When the, when the Blue Aprons and the Hello Freshes of the world hit, everybody thought we have to have our own version of that. Well, it, it's, a, it's an interesting business model, but it's, it's got pros and cons on both sides like everything does. And the more reactive you are chasing something, the less proactive you are in creating your own identity for what you want your stuff to be. What I've seen retailers start to do, and especially some that I work very closely with in ideation and design of products, is leaning on your vendors to be an apt resource for this sort of information and knowing that you can find vendors to work with that are doing the work for you in regards to testing products before they get in front of you and creating things that you know, they feel comfortable showing to you because they think they're going to work or they can provide data to you for why this is a, a worthwhile chance to take or path to explore. The more, that, the more that people can be strategic partners in execution and scale up, the more everyone will be to succeed. And it's, you know, it, it, there's a double-edged sword there because you're always going to have ego involved. You're always going to have everybody, the politics involved. You're always going to have everybody that needs to put their finger in the pot. And, you know, you, you just find ways to sort of live in that environment and build the trust of, hey, we're all in this together. And if I'm able to sell you something, my company is going to appreciate it. You're going to appreciate it if it sells. Your customer is going to appreciate it if it tastes good. So let's all just be on the same page and let's talk shop and let's let's figure out what your marketing department or your data shows based off of what my data shows for trends. And then that's a fusion in and of itself. Let's push it together and see where we can find a middle ground there to explore some new opportunities. And, and they're doing that. They really are, especially with especially with a lot of the people that I've been meeting with lately. We're really having a lot of fun right now exploring some really wild flavors, but that I do truly still stand firm in will be comfortable to the palate of the average consumer while still getting them excited about what they're participating in. Mm -hmm. Well, and I was curious too, because we've, we've talked about sort of on a, on a macro level, some of the things that, that folks are looking for. I'm thinking, and this is a bit of a selfish question, because I was one of those kids that did not like vegetables growing up. And as an adult, okay. fortunately, you know, over years in the produce industry, that's changed. But I'm always looking, and I think other people probably are too, for just ways to make those vegetables taste even better, right? And what are the go-to spice combinations and preparation methods and just some things that you can kind of apply across the board? And I think, you know, re retailers, I think a, 
a opportunity for them to differentiate is just to be a better and better resource to those shoppers, right? Like give them those ideas, curate those ideas a little bit. So instead of me Googling, what's the best way to make green beans taste better, right? I've got somebody who's done a little background. They can tell, they can, you know, give me, give me an idea and I trust them because they're, they're my grocery store, right? What are your, if you were advising, you know, maybe millennials who haven't cooked as much as, as their parents did or their grandparents did, a few just go-to easy ways to make vegetables taste better that maybe our retail listeners can, uh, can offer to their shoppers. Yeah, I think this is where I'm going to get, like, this is going to come across as like that weird spiritual part. Trust <laughs> the vegetable. I cannot tell you how much it warms my heart and how happy I am that plant-based is finally starting to become plants. It is past time. Plants need to get their due. They're great. Fruit and vegetables are great. And there's so many great flavors that don't have to be manipulated or chemically processed to make them something consumer wants to purchase. They can just be accentuated. They can just be played with. And there can be this like fun relationship between the, the produce and the and the cook or the chef or the processor to just use what's already in front of you. I think blending of those flavors is fun. I think colors are fun. I, again, it's that eat with your eyes. I think that if you go to a market and you're seeing so many companies now portioning vegetables in take and bake trays or in steaming bags, in the same way in which meat monopolized those vessels for so long now, it's because there is this demand, and it might even be unspoken still at this point. I know there's data out there. I've seen it. I've read through it all. But at the end of the day, you know, even in the face of inflation being what it is right now, produce has been the least hit by that. And so you have this you have the monetary aspect of it. You have the exploratory aspect of it. The produce section is where you get to forage. It's where you get to graze. It's where you can you can walk in and you can see cotton candy grapes. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> I got to try that. And so if you just play again off the name and you take and you blend the textures and the mouthfeels and the colors and you're working with somebody that understands cooking, understands that putting, you know, small cubed squash next to whole carrots isn't going to create a very great end product because that squash is going to be completely done for by the time the carrot cooks. It's all about just layering those different aspects of the puzzle together to make that end product taste good, look pretty, and perform well when it's put on a plate and served to a family or used in a lunch bowl or however you may be merchandising that product at the end of the day. I think that playing with fun flavors on vegetables is the next frontier of where a company like what I represent or like so many other people in my shoes represent can really start to make their mark. It is a blank palette in so many ways. I'm sorry, blank canvas in so many ways. The meat and seafood case the CPG area, the middle of the market, pastries, desserts, you're always going to find a lot of flavor there. But vegetables and produce and fruit and just that whole sector of the market and the industry is just like sitting there like, hey, somebody come play with me. Somebody come take some chances. <laughs> and I, I think that if you're willing to 
take those chances, even just the Thanksgiving dinner that I just served for my family and friends and some neighbors that came over, I used a burnt orange and vanilla seasoning on roasted rainbow carrots. So when they come out of the oven, you have rainbow carrots that are already beautiful. It's a beautiful canvas to start on. When I make my menu and I print it out and I put it on the table because I get all you know excited about showing everybody what they're going to eat, and it says burnt orange and vanilla, those are not flavors that you would normally articulate or participate, or I'm sorry, associate with something like a carrot. But you have the beautiful visual, and then you have these cool flavors that are going to be built on top of it, and then you taste it, and you're like, wow, this is great. Great in unexpected ways. I put a gingerbread seasoning that we have on Brussels sprouts. And so now again, you're layering these different flavors on a platform that most people are like, well, Brussels sprouts are only good if you throw bacon on top of them. That's not true. Brussels sprouts are pretty damn good on their own too. (laughs) You just need to accentuate what they're already doing to make you want to approach it. And now those people may leave my dinner, go to the store and say, well, Chef Cody's not here to make that for me, but I liked the Brussels sprouts he had. I'm going to buy these and take them home and try something for myself now. And and that and that's a win in my mind. Absolutely. Well, Cody, I want to make sure I get you out of here on time, but is there anything in particular that you really wanted to get to that we did not touch on today? I'll, I'll let you have the last word here. Sure. I'm going to my I'm going to stand on my soapbox. <laughs> let plant-based be the produce section of your supermarket. I see you shaking your head. I, I really mean it. It is so, it's endearing and disheartening when so many times I can be in front of a customer and I can talk about a flavor that would work well, but then it's this, this artificial analog that presents itself in front of me that's like that's not what i'm talking about (laughs) and it's you know i'm not even just talking about your 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 root vegetables and your fruits i'm talking about grains i mean they're just there's so much cool stuff available now in regards to heirloom varietal grains and vegetables and just it is this instant gratification for us as well, where we can go into any number of supermarkets out there and there's this plethora, this cornucopia of offerings out there in front of us. Don't be afraid to try something that you haven't tried because you don't have to be me and my mad scientist, weird academic and professional background to know what to do with it. Everybody has that computer in their pocket and you can Google, you know, what do I do with bok choy? What do I do with Daikon? And you can find some fun ideas there too. And then you get to experience this interactive like participation of doing something new, trying something new, not having to fly halfway across the world to, to find or procure some of these things that are just readily available in front of us. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I was at a meeting and I'm at the market buying ingredients. And the first time I've ever seen them like this, I walk in right next to the blueberries. There's baskets of golden berries. I was so excited and I immediately bought them and I used them in my meeting. Then I went back to that same supermarket store when I got home and I used them for my Thanksgiving dinner as well because it's something new. I didn't have an idea in my head when I bought golden berries what to do with them. 
but I ate some raw. I tried some cooked and I just kept playing with it until I got to a point where I thought it was a very nice garnish or accentuation to something else I was, I was, you know, putting on the table in front of everybody. And so just take your chances, let plant-based be what plant-based really should be and have some fun with it. Excellent. Well, Cody, I know you're, I know you're preaching to the choir, you know, in this, uh, in this environment, talking to the produce people. I'm sure everybody listening is like, yeah, dude, we know that already. (laughs) I'm going to keep pushing this as many people as I can that I'm in front of because I, I, it's just, it's an exciting time for produce and, and there's so much out there that we could be having some fun with. So have some fun. Phenomenal. Well, Cody, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. We'll thank our listeners as well. And we will see everybody back next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.